before we get started with this episode of The Watch, just wanted to mention that The Ringer now has merch. Go to bit.ly.com slash ringer merch, where you can find shirts and hoodies. A portion of the proceeds from each purchase will benefit Charity Water, a nonprofit organization that provides clean and safe drinking water to people in developing nations. Again, go to bitly.com slash ringer merch. Cop the fits! I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I'm an editor for TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, just waiting for that cup of soup to cool, it's Andy Greenwald! Wow, Chekhov's cup noodles, man. I know. I didn't I didn't see that coming. Who who would have thought the way the way the camera lovingly lingered on steaming water emerging <laughs> from a wall tap that it would come back to haunt us? Doesn't he explain like you just first of all yeah. did not know that about baby oil and soup? No, is that true? I don't know. Do you, do you, do you, what, if, what if, you know, Chris, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, and this is our podcast that we like to, where we talk about stuff, but what if we just radically rejiggered our whole podcast? And Facebook we were just like, live of me throwing cups of noodles at you? No, if we just were like the house stuff works slash snopes.com of fictional television. Yeah, I think that's where it. We're like, does that really happen? We're do a know, pivot. So like, we, we, are, we are do a, a pivot, either towards radical transparent confessional vul- confessional vulnerability mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. throwing mm-hmm. cup of noodles at each other and burning each other's skin off uh, frankly i think they're just two sides of the same coin me too i know i agree andy it's you're back from canada we're going to talk about um the night of we're going to talk about jason Bourne, um and then we have some bits and bobs and odds and ends to discuss i'm kind of for some reason really want to talk to you about the fact that the killer's sam's town is 10 yes. years old, but I have nothing prepared on that. You know, it's just that... We don't need to talk too much about it. I mostly want to talk about the fact that no band but The Killers would announce their inevitable <laughs> 10-year anniversary re-release of a record by calling it the the, the decennial, the dicennial. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, like, I didn't even know that was a word. Of course it's a word, but in the same way where it's just like, you don't need to do full Latin. Everyone knows it's just been 10 years, but of yeah. course The Killers announced Sam Town's decentennial... No, I can't even do it right. I, I can't I, even do it right, but but God bless the killer. It's just one of those things that with 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 a lot of these ten year anniversaries, um, they just make me wildly uncomfortable because it's not like I feel it was that long ago that the album itself came out. You know what, Chris? Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was ten years ago. <laughs> it was decennial <laughs> years ago. Get away, uh, um, Chris. I want to say I think we should also say up front that we you know we are nothing if not responsive and. Uh, I'm I'm a little behind. Like I I we I promised that I would watch the end of Stranger Things because I love Stranger Things and I'm excited to watch the rest of the series and talk about it with you. But due to my Canadian idol, I D Y L L, not the um, singing competition they had in Canada for a few years, um, I did not finish the show. So we're not talking about that. And also, I didn't finish Preacher. I know people probably want to talk about Preacher, which, su- su- by the way, surprise ended its season last night, the decentennial of when it started. <laughs> but. But I didn't get to it yet, and I, which is a bummer because I really like watching that show. So I just want to apologize to everyone because people, are, I think, are really disappointed in me. I do have I have one question for you about Stranger Things, which you don't have to have seen. How, how many have you seen now? Um, five or six. Okay. Uh, so basically the same amount as last week, right? Yeah, but do you like the way I put the or in to make <laughs> it, it like, seem like I'd watch or more? six? <laughs> um. I've noticed that Stranger Things has now become, like, it just seems from reading the internet that this is the favorite mm-hmm. show of the summer, that it is yeah. almost universally beloved. You are nothing yes. if not, well, actually, you're so many more things, but you're, you, you are, <laughs> first, you are a critic. Well, first they came for the critics. Yes, I, I, I once was a critic. Yes, go on. Uh, can I challenge you? Oh, God, I love it. Yeah. Write your concern troll, are we sure it's good? What is your what is the hook of your are we sure Stranger Things is good piece? What's well what, is I, there anything I, wrong with it? Yeah, I mean I could construct that, but I don't know if I believe it. But if I was would, you know, <laughs> have you, but if, have you if read I the was, internet? <laughs> well, that's why I'm not doing that sort of thing anymore, frankly. But um no, I mean I think that the concern and this is the concern I had after the first episode, but it was basically um put aside after the two three four and and five or six we don't know or six um is that the show is essentially a frankenstein's monster of nostalgic pleasure hits 
you know, that it is so ex- that the stitching is so brilliant in the way it, it, it connects things that people really love to watch or remember from things they actually love more that it's just you don't notice the fact that it's essentially all derivative and that maybe there is no there there. Yeah. But that, that would be the, that would be the, the piece to write. But I, you know, I'm I, just in general, I, I really am suspect of critical, critical adventures to basically deny pleasure. And because you can't kind of, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, Oh, they illegitimately made this pleasurable, deeply engaging show while admitting that it's pleasurable and deeply engaging. The fact that it's hard enough to make a pleasurable and deeply engaging show, that you don't need to worry about the first part of it. That, so that's basically my takeaway. Basically, the head for that, the headline, that's what we call it mm-hmm. in the edit, edit biz, that would be, what about Buono though? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It, it's essentially... <laughs> what, about what about Buono, Buono? though? <laughs> Do you feel... I, sometimes whenever, whenever you hit the decibel levels, <laughs> I think about like the people who are just like jogging... <laughs> Or maybe just trying to sneak in they just, a little earbud they just action. Dove of a into podcast, a pond you know? because they were so scared of whatever was coming. Or, or like maybe, maybe you know, maybe there are people who like work in in nurseries or something, yeah. or in like the library of you know, Congress. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, they're and they're and they're looking over the Declaration of Independence and they're going, "What a what about Bono though?" Except what they're looking it over with like they're looking it over with a little pen. And when you said that, they jumped forward and the pen tore through the original copy of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> National Treasure Three. Yeah, Chris, right. Um, Tate. Wow, big response to National Treasure Three. Okay, I'm glad we could that. we could do that little exercise. Um, can I jump in one other thing before we do the other business that we have? Yeah, let's talk Wait, about the mechanics other, of comedy. Wait. Two other beats of business. I want to ask no. you. Fuck it. You know what? It's our show. Can I ask you something? <laughs> yeah, this is wild. Late summer watch. Okay. What's, up with, what's up with the fucking moose heart, dog? How was that? Oh. Oh, you want to know about my Canada time? Let's know. I want to know about the food, though, because I, I as a, somebody who, upon your recommendation, yeah. became obsessed mm-hmm. with Vice's Chef's Night, Chef's Night Out. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the Quebec episode of um, Parts Unknown, or is it no? Yeah, Parts Unknown, right? Yeah, the Anthony Bourdain CNN show is probably one of the two or three best he's done to me on CNN, and that stars the major players in those are the guys who do Joe Beef and Liverpool Mm -hmm. House in Montreal. And you had a chance to go to Montreal, and you were like, "Damn, I I'm trying to get that Joe Beef hookup though." What about Joe Beef, though? <laughs> it's like there are two poles in the universe. On one shoulder is Joe Beef, and the other shoulder is Cara Buono. Yeah. It's like beef or Buono. What will it be? And you got a chance to eat at Liverpool House, right? Yeah, and the next, and then the next night I was doing, like, Quebecois apple brandy shots with the dude from Joe Beef. Like, so- that city... That city really escalates. In I don't a think hurry. there's anything city... wrong with it, man. Take me on a little bit of a culinary adventure. I, I, I think I, if you could I, give I, us a slightly shorter, shorter version than your Grub Street piece, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chris, I just want to say that I highly recommend anyone going to visit our neighbors to the north, going to visit the beautiful city of of Montreal. Um, I think that in terms of of dining and nightlife. That city might be the brick tamlin with a trident of North American cities in that it really, really, really escalates quickly. You know, like it, it is such a there's like so much going on there. and It's a rich, you know, rich in history and culture, but it's also pretty small. Yeah. So I think so it's it like really, condensed. really pops off. Right. So I was there for the Montreal for the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, which is a huge deal. Did not realize that. Um, very fun to be there. Uh did a master of none panel those dudes were great fun great dressers by the way alan yang and aziz really aziz was having like the slip-on gucci loafers i was like that's a that's a good look i know you're, you're um, telling a good story and you're being humble but it sounds a little bit like i'm when i when you talk like this it kind of sounds like donald yeah. trump in my head we're like montreal great town <laughs> aziz i'm sorry lovely loafers and a, a lovely man but carabono <laughs> yeah but 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 also like go back to my tweet three years ago where i was savaging him yeah right um no, all, all I wanted to say was, um, yeah, I went to Liverpool House, which is the Joe Beef Dudes' um, other restaurant. First night, bellied up to the bar. Best dish I had all year. Chris, you know what it was? It was a summer aioli with fresh vegetables. Really? It wasn't even the meat thing. The cooking there, the produce there, so good. 
But the next night, I got invited to go along to a dinner that a bunch of people who are much more connected and much more wealthy than I am were having at the back of this other restaurant that I can't name because apparently the dish they served us is not legal. Oh, I love when that happens. it's a restaurant that is basically devoted to like northern cuisine, like Canadian cuisine. Yeah, 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 like revenant shit, right? And you sh- it, literally. And so we showed up and the the chef was just like, "What do you want to drink? We'll take care of you." This is like my dream experience and they just started bringing out plates and there was like wild strawberries with house-cured lardo and there was like cold lobster bouillabaisse and okay. and smoked lamb shoulder. But then he was just like, "Here's the piece de resistance." We're like, "What is it?" And he was like, "Friends, this is this is seared wild Yukon moose heart. Those are the only, I've only ever had one of those words I think associated with a meal. <laughs> I won't tell you which one. Yeah, and it was like in a sauce of like fresh juniper berries. Are you and a it, uh, you? You're an adventurous eater, right? Yeah. Where do you draw the line in terms of how 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 Yukon do you get? Uh, you know, after just how blown does night, it get in the in the in the at, in the kitchen? After this great night and this great experience, I did Google the chef uh, and what he what he preaches and what he practices. <laughs> and he is and, definitely a, a meth dealer from Nova Scotia. <laughs> so, so full air quotes. He's not really a chef. Um, what he is is a fur trapper. Who no uh, beaver? Like I don't think I could eat like <laughs> beaver tail. Like. You know, like, and, and then apparently one of his other specialties, and this will pretty much narrow down the chef if you, like, want to do deep chef Googling. One of his specialties is, like, he, he likes to, to find the part of the windpipe in large animals and serve that. See, I, I think like that, I that, would be, that, would, that that would be a, a challenge for me. I'll pretty much eat anything at least once. But windpipe yeah. is, has, like, even just, like, if you were just, like, the middle sec, like the lower mouth, yeah. I would probably be more into it than windpipe. Yeah, but would you, pipe... would you have gotten down with the? Would you would you have gotten down with the moose heart? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was because I would feel really like good. I was like, I was taking that moose's soul, and that that it, that moose's soul would power me through my forties. You know, chewing it, the texture definitely <laughs> tasted like the cinematography in the opening scene of the Revenant. Like it definitely felt like 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 Chivo was was like working the, the, the three sixty panorama at Magic Hour. That's how it felt. Yeah, that's with like people falling out of trees. Okay, like, like when you least expected it. Okay, but all I want to but it is a it was a really it is a really great town and it's really fun and I I will say because I to try to make bring this back down to earth for people who are um, food tourists like like we aspire to be sometimes and you watch shows like Bourdain's or Vices and you're like I would like to experience that but I don't know how to like to get the soigné VIP life I think that it is very gettable in a city like Montreal which is you know an hour flight from New York and it's really fun they, 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 it's a great town food was really good that's what I wanted to say fantastic also, uh, also some comedy yeah mostly food yeah let's not talk about can, comedy can we, do you want to talk about can, comedy can we do, no I want to ask you one other thing that I asked on Twitter before we get into the business okay I just want to ask you, so Suicide Squad is opening uh, this week, right? Yes. Yeah. I am not going to see this film. I'll no? be honest with all of our, our listeners. Do you have any relationship um, with this group of characters? No. Okay. No. I, I mean, I can't even, there's so many characters. One of them seems to be a crocodile. I don't understand. But maybe it's good. You like David Ayer, right? What the if director, there was a so character have... that was just a moose heart? Dude, I would have defeated that character. Is that Yukon Mooseheart coming through? Oh no! Run away, Joker! <laughs> I don't think they'd run away. I think they'd break out the fork. That actually knife. wasn't that funny. Um, I just want to talk to you about Suicide Squad, um, the poster. I'm very fascinated by this because you know there's basically um, top top billing. You know means like in your contract you get billed above the title on the posters, and that's oh, something that is yeah, negotiated yeah, yeah, yeah. and I saw, fought I over. I saw that you were really worked up about Kenneman. And, and this cast is enormous. And there are five names above above the title, and now number one is Will Smith, obviously because he, you know he's in an ensemble movie that he's not the face of, so obviously he's, the least he's going to get is top billing. Jared Leto is second because he plays the Joker, and so if you play the Joker in a film, you get second billing. Understood. Third is is Margot Robbie, and obviously anyone who can withstand the lascivious prose of the dude who wrote that Vanity Fair profile deserves. Well, all anybody the who's been watching get. Suicide Squad promo sh- stuff knows that she's right. going to be the breakout star of this 
Right. That's they. You, they certainly want you to believe that. Yes. Um, skipping ahead to therapy is by <laughs> you no, like, I don't know I better. Know I just better. Think I think Killer Croc's really the breakout star of this. But fifth build is Viola Davis, terrific, tremendous actor. You know, riding a, a hot streak right now because of the you know Emmy nominations and and whatever. But let's talk about that four slot, okay? <laughs> the let's cleanup. Let's talk spot. about the cleanup hitter. Yeah, the cleanup hitter is the is the god Joel Kinnaman. Now, people, when I tweeted this, saying. What sort of leverage or bribery did Joel Kinnaman's agents exact to get top billing on Suicide Squad? I'm not hating on Joel. Everyone was like, that dude was the best thing in the killing. My response to that was, no shit. (laughs) (laughs) I watched more of the killing than you did, friends. I know he was the best thing in it. Um, But, you know, he's not exactly riding high off of the RoboCop reboot. No. And... I just I'm I, that's the story. I want the oral history of Joel Kinnaman getting. Here's the thing: is that I saw your spot. tweet. I didn't. Thank I didn't. You. I didn't like it. I didn't fave it. You know what I mean? No, you and don't I respond. And by I the didn't way. retweet. You don't respond it. to Twitter engagement. You don't. But I just I, dis, I disagreed with your 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 concern trolling there because who are you putting in there instead? Huh. Okay. All right. You know I what see I mean? what you're saying there. Sure. So it's like Jai Courtney. First of all, no, they should they should definitely he should be listed as Alan Smithy. You know what I mean? Like he, they should be hiding yeah, his involvement in this. It's film. like Sam Worthington's like and a player to be trained tr- tr- named later. Like I, I just thought it Jay, was Jay Courtney is the poor man Sam Worthington. Is it not Jai? Oh, I thought it was Jay. It's spelled Jai. This is the, here's the thing. You know who? You know what? America doesn't care. If there's we a movie star and you're like, is it Jay or Jai? Then he's not a movie star. That's what I'm saying. I agree with you a thousand percent. So I, I see what you're saying, and I appreciate the fact that you're if, if if there's you're there to check up on whether Kinnaman is getting ahead of himself. But I just don't know who else in Suicide Squad you're putting above him if you're going to put another name up there. His character is the leader of the Suicide Squad. Technically, so, theoretically, yes. he should be higher. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. If we're going by Mastead, sure. <laughs> but I also want to talk about the fact that this was the part that for here's the oral history. Here's why the story becomes like really juicy. Is that Tom Hardy was initially announced in this role? Yeah. Now, if we're talking about the bribery that Joel Kinnaman's agent used to get top billing, what 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 le- what bribery was used to get Tom Hardy to agree to this in the first place? And wasn't didn't Tom Hardy drop out so that he could make his 19th century Dutch East India trading miniseries with his dad? W- wouldn't you? Yeah. I, that sounds amazing. Yeah. By the way, do, do you want to make a Dutch East India trading company miniseries, dad? Is the field of dreams of the 21st century. Yeah. Um... I think I, I feel like Tom Hardy's worried. dad is named like Dutch or something like that. No, it's it's no, his name is like Chips. Chips, that's right, Chips Hardy. Um, oh, we got let's, let's let's get through some of this other stuff here. Actually, for a second, let's just take a quick break from our sponsor, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about Night of, and we'll talk about Jason Bourne. Hey guys, just wanted to tell you a little bit about our sponsor this week. It's Spotify's Discover Weekly playlist. Discover Weekly allows you to lose yourself every week in the thrill of new music discovery. Your Discover Weekly playlist is 30 songs you didn't know you loved yet. You get a brand new, unique playlist every Monday, like a weekly birthday birthday present just for you. The playlist is personalized based on your music taste. The people who know about and use Discover Weekly love it. I consider myself one of those people. Every Monday, it's really awesome. I get a bunch of songs where I'm like, I have like, I'm, I'm already into this band, but this is a song by that band I didn't know, or maybe it's a new artist, uh, older artist artist that I'd always kind of uh, slip through my fingers. It's such a great tool. It's such a wonderful way to explore different parts of Spotify. Don't forget, save your favorite tracks on Sundays. I've made this mistake before and I I've no longer do so. I'm now part of my Sunday ritual. You save your favorite tracks on Sunday because the playlist will refresh on Monday. You go to spotify.com slash discover weekly now to get your playlist. Also want to tell you about our sponsor, MeUndies. Whether you're wearing a suit or sweats, you spend almost 24 hours a day in your underwear. But instead of making a statement like Superman's tights under his everyday clothes, your underwear probably is boring. MeUndies is here to change that. 
Every pair of MeUndies is made from sustainably sourced modal, a fabric that is twice as soft as cotton. Nothing can describe the fit and feel of MeUndies, but once you try them, you'll understand why they're called the world's most comfortable underwear. And if you don't love your first pair of MeUndies, they're free. No questions asked. MeUndies has dozens of styles and limited edition prints to help you make a statement with your underwear. Whether anyone can see them or not, remember, Superman. Shipping is free in the U.S. and Canada, and you can save up to $8 a pair with the MeUndies subscription plan. Get the subscription or a single pair, and get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com watch. That's MeUndies.com watch for 20% off your first order. MeUndies.com W-A-T-C-H. Okay, Andy, uh, this was... The Night Of continues to plug along with just probably the most consistently rich... Um, harrowing experience on television right now. Uh, Stranger Things is delightful. Preacher is zany and manic and and exciting every week. But the night of, you know, we've talked about it. Allison Herman did a really nice piece about how it had, basically this was like the closest thing we've come to golden age television in quite a long time. And another thing that Allison wrote about today that I thought was pretty interesting was... um, the show taking us into a different realm of and taking a new look at the legal system in America on this episode mm-hmm. this week. And I thought that that was pretty fascinating because when you have a show that you have like a limited amount of time, you're not going to have to like set up characters for multiple seasons. You can have their fates decided in a short term environment. I think that weirdly gives you a lot of freedom because you can actually decide one week on the night of we're going to do a law and, or- law and order episode or we're going to do a homicide life on the street episode as they did previously or, with like detective or, box or, or oz or oz yeah or oz and that's one of the things that i think subtly is quite brilliant about this show is it's got its framework it's got its main story it has its endpoint theoretically i don't know what that endpoint yeah. is but within the context of that they're allowed to experiment and deeply dive into these topics that you know previously something like the wire would take an entire season to investigate but in the and in, in this in the, in the night of they're just doing such an incredible job of like in and out in and out and then when they go out they keep that the law the legal system the judicial like the corrections facility the detectives the infrastructure around like all this stuff is still there but the way that this show is able to push things to the foreground, pull them to the background, the Im- the immigrant experience, like everything about mm-hmm. it is just, I, I don't know, I can't say enough good things about it. Well, well, let's talk about the nuts and bolts. I mean, the the fact that the show makes sure to give a few moments every time it's relevant to the fact that if you are being held in Rikers waiting arraignment or waiting to make a plea deal or waiting for your trial, you have to get on a bus and you're driven there and then you're driven back. And you're in two different worlds, and that is a not insignificant trip, and it has a psychological toll. And, you know, it was not 1% or 5% of the last night's uh, hour-long runtime, but it was there, and it added to Nas's experience, and it added to the viewer's experience. And similarly, what this show does so well is something that People versus O.J. Simpson did really well too earlier in the year, which is take this idea of guilt or innocence, which to many people, that's the binary of the criminal justice system, and then basically make the case, all of it is stories, all of it is narrative, which one do you believe in, which one is going to win? And the show had been operating in that world up to now, and that was what Tertura, John Stone, you know, the lawyer, had been been saying from the very beginning to Nas, um, when he was basically like, I don't care what what you did or didn't do, we need to come up with a better story that's going to win. The flip side of that was really spelled out in pretty brilliant detail. I think this may have been my favorite episode yet. Um, in the fourth episode last night, we're recording this on Monday, um, when they work out this plea deal. And we hear a lot about plea deals. People take them all the time. And, and generally, they're like, oh, that's a good idea. It's a good deal or whatever. Um, you have to stand up and say that you did it. And what would that mean? What would that cost? Yeah. You know, um, Almost forget in, in that second, almost forget the fact that he be, he's basically giving up his life until he's 30, whatever he was, 35. Um, he, has to, he had to stand up in front of his family and say he murdered someone that he probably almost definitely didn't murder. And I thought that was just really compelling to watch. Um, I think the show is going to some great places. And it's just, it's just, it's just entertaining. Um, two, I had two questions for you 
about this episode before we move on. One, with the appearance of um, of Max Casella uh, as a <laughs> as a halfway house dude and and Ada Turturro, John Turturro's cousin, right? We remember from the is Sopranos. this a, is this a a secret Sopranos remake or something? No. Who is left in the HBO repertory company that you would like to see? Frankly, I'm assuming they are all going to show up at some point or another. But who, who, honestly, who is left? Because, you know, I think we said this at the beginning of the season. The first piece I ever wrote for Grandland, the day Grandland launched in June of 11, was about the HBO recycling company and how they reused their actors. This is almost, it's, if the show wasn't so compelling and good and these actors didn't show up for scenes that were just like, you yeah, know, Fisher Stevens showing up as a pharmacist. Right, right. I mean, People are showing up because they believe in the material and it's good work and it's worthwhile. I mean, even, but it, even it's, Glenn it's Headley is as a Allison, the the high priced lawyer. I mean, Glenn Headley's yeah. been in movies since like the early eighties. You know, she, yeah. she she was in friggin' Doctor Detroit, and she's just out here being a defense attorney in this movie. So who who is left? Who who would you like to see from, from HBO the, specifically, uh, or just in general? No, from HBO specifically, from the people you know. And don't say Brian Ben Ben. I know you want to say Brian Ben Ben. I feel um, like Ransom is this. This show is dying for some Ransom. That a is bit. a great call, James Ransom, star of uh, he was Ziggy on the Wire. Yeah, he was. Uh, he he was. Uh, why am I blanking on the the the, the war miniseries that they did? Oh, the Pacific the, or Band uh, of Brothers? No, no, the David Simon one, the Iraq War one. Oh, uh, uh, Generation Kill. Yes, he was. He was in that as well. That's a good call. We could. Who who would he be though? Like, I feel like. Ransone was up for the Casella part. Yeah, him and Casella were just like, who's who's available on a Wednesday? Um, Or or they were like, yeah, I don't think, I I heard bad buzz on vinyl. Let's give it to Casella. Maybe Ransone could be the guy who cures eczema. Oh, that would be amazing. He's just like some, he's like some street healer. (laughs) Yeah. I I got, when when they, when they pulled the plug on vinyl, Casella was the one I felt bad for. He was pretty good on it. Like, he was really good. He was really having fun. He's one of the few people who was like on the right version of the show, even though the right version of the show didn't exist around him. Um, okay, so I had one other casting question for this before we move on from the night of. Um, and this is one of those ones where I'm not going to take my answer off air because I have a definite opinion too. Okay. But I'm curious what you think about it. Um, as everyone knows, uh, this was James Gandolfini's passion project. And I'm curious if, you know, with with all respect to his his memory and his terrible pass, his terribly untimely passing, how do you think his performance would have changed it? Like a great hypothetical, if if James Gandolfini. So I've been thinking about this and, a lot and played John Stone. I, I I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been wondering whether or not not Gandolfini. I wasn't actually thinking about. I was thinking about De Niro because De Niro oh. was up was a there was a moment there where De Niro was going to maybe fill in for Gandolfini as like. Oh, a, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, and I think you can make an argument that. If De Niro does this role, it completely changes the way we look at the last section of his career. Like if De Niro comes through and does this role and just absolutely, you know, is just like, for, remember me, you know, remember Jake LaMotta, remember Jimmy Conway, remember Neil McCauley, all these parts that I've played and does one more iconic role. It totally wipes out. Rocky and Bullwinkle and all this bullshit. And every time he's played like a boxing trainer in some weird movie for the last 10 years. And it, it is, it's almost like I love Totoro in this. And now I can't imagine anybody else doing it. And in some ways, I can't really imagine Totoro scratching his feet with a chopstick. I mean, De Niro doing that. But it's like, I, it seems like I can't believe they left. It would be like somebody turning down a chance it would be like turning down a chance to play with the warriors right now or something like if you had done it it just would have changed the way people viewed your the second half of your career i i don't disagree that's all news to me i did not know that um like i think he was gonna do it as like this sucks this was his passion project i want to make sure in his memory it goes on i'll step in and do it because the riz ahmed was like there was a moment where we were gonna do it Gandolfini passed away. I thought the whole project was over. Then there was a second where I was about to get on a plane because they were like, we have De Niro. And they were like, stop, don't come. And then they were like, come back. We've got Turturro. It's interesting. You know, I think the main thing that, that throws me, and, and, I, and I wish De Niro would, would take something like this because it's a miniseries, you know. It's essentially the same amount of time you would spend on a feature film, maybe a little bit more. But 
he certainly has it in him, and he certainly clearly likes to work, and he certainly wouldn't have to travel away from his hometown to film this thing. Purely thinking about the the piece, like the show, having the attorney be 72 years old changes it. Yeah, because that's true. Because one of the things that is so good about Torturo, and it would work for Gandolfini too, is this air of resignation, a professional embarrassment and mm-hmm. humiliation. But that only plays because there's a sense that it still could turn, but maybe only he believes it. Whereas if De Niro is doing it, there's like a his whole life was basically a wash, it's, and he's it's coming closer, out to try it's one last It's right time. on the edge. It's like where did you ever see the verdict, the Paul Simon, the Paul Newman movie, the David, Ma- oh, yeah, the David Mamet yeah. one? It's like at the edge of are you still in your middle age or not? Because I do think that that makes a difference in the perception of the character. It's especially got to do with whatever semblance of vanity he still has about you know taking uh, about fixing his his skin and everything. It's like it's got to do with like it, it, you're not you haven't just like given yourself up to old old age yet. I wish, frankly, if he if De Niro had done it, he had done it in the same character from The Intern. Yeah, where he just showed up in a clean suit every day, (laughs) you know, just like first one in the office and kind of old school with his methods. But everyone fell in love with him, especially when he when he found out that Glenn Headley's husband was cheating on her. Um, The the thing that was interesting to me about the Gandolfini is that a lot of people who really only knew Gandolfini from obviously from his most iconic performances, Tony Soprano, and then maybe, you know, earlier on in, in True Romance or something like that, is that some people were writing on Twitter that they just kind of it's hard for him to buy him in this role because the role is so downtrodden and Gandolfini is such a powerful um alpha kind of presence or you know that the people think of him especially because of his his sheer his physical size and the charisma that he had because of it but to people who thought that I would direct them to two things one uh that spoke really really well of him as an actor and and you know basically as an artist his last I don't know if it was his last movie but certainly his last starring role is in the um is in the film uh, Enough Said, mm-hmm. which is with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And you know I love this movie. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. love that movie. And if you want to see what really, really incredible actors these two beloved TV icons are, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Gandolfini, see them in this movie. And the more you read about Gandolfini off camera and you know, and people who knew him, this part in which he plays basically kind of a physically awkward nerd like middle-aged nerd who who has a very hard time with people and with women he wanted to play that direction he was more comfortable doing that than he was like throwing patricia arquette through a glass wall which is you know fair enough aren't we all but i think it speaks really highly of him that he wanted to return to tv to play this guy who is absolutely at the bottom of the ladder as opposed to what he was used to doing you know and i think it would have been a very interesting thing for him to once again contrast that physical strength with the part as written, you know, and certainly with the physical ailments that the character. I think has. that also you have to under you have to. This is a part, and you know, calling him John Stone, and and it, it it's so much of his mannerisms and his characteristics are fleshed out by Turturro's performance and the certain like, yeah. uh, even the, just like these odd little gestures that Turturro does. Whereas Gandolfini, I think, would have inevitably been a much more stoic presence. And it would have been interesting, yes. actually, to see that the combination of Gandolfini's almost like Easter Island statue-ness combined with Riz Ahmed. Because I think Turturro is like doing a lot of dribbling when Riz Ahmed is on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ahmed's performance is becoming increasingly physical. And it's becoming increasingly reactive but also internalized and it would have been interesting to see two two performers doing that at the same time i wonder if it would have been good for the show or not because i don't i think that part of i somebody there has to be the engine of price's dialogue and Turturro obviously is just like i he's doing a thing but he's like i know that i am in a richard price work and i understand how these people talk but but it's not just that the thing that i say about Turturro's performance that i find so striking is he's he's communicating something that is so specific and so delicate and kind of hard to hard to pull off basically which is on screen he is constantly humiliated and shamed yes but he's almost but using that he, to his advantage he has pride yeah. you know the way he played the scene when he's taking the video in front of the the uh, halfway house he you would think he'd be pushed back on his heels but he's almost past that point you know yeah. 
he knows how things work. Like his his face when that guy who knows him so well is screening him, you know, go, to go into the courthouse every time. It's it's pretty amazing performance because it's it's this it's this it, it this term usually means something else, but there is a passive aggression to him that is really striking. Um, you know, and, and I think this was an Allison's piece too. We're now four episodes in; there are four to go. This doesn't feel like the halfway point. You know, in many ways, it still feels like the prologue. I don't. So. I don't think it's supposed to. I think it's supposed to feel. I, I think that people everywhere are watching this show, just like they're watching Stranger Things, and they're like, "These are eight-hour movies. These aren't." Yeah. And you're not supposed to be like. I, I think that. I think with Stranger Things, there are definite parts of the season where you could be like, "You could have ended it here." And that would have been an incredible three three episodes. So you, I mean, chop some things, and it would have been like a two and a half hour movie. But mm-hmm. um, these these two shows to me are really out there exploring, like reviving my like kind of excitement and faith in what you can do with a multi hour single story uh, television show. It's good. It's I mean, it's just I. I <laughs> it was nice of you when you called me a critic before because my, t- my the thing I wanted to end on for the night of is gosh it's good I really like watching it <laughs> let's put that on the poster <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about Jason Bourne we talked so much about the series on uh, last Thursday on the re-up that I don't know that we have like a ton to add but now that people have generally had a chance to see it I thought we could go into it a little bit I wrote a thing on The Ringer today about the way that and we we talked about this on Thursday but the way that the tension between the greengrass damon side of things and the gilroy side of things kind of shaped the best of born and then led to what we have now which is kind of a franchise that even though it made 60 million dollars doesn't really feel uh necessary anymore and i guess i was just sort of wondering i, I mean like i honestly just really want to talk about like the the stupid things like why is Vincent Cassell French in this like what did, why did they cast him as like a French guy who is lecturing people about being an American patriot um, and stuff like that the like r- random things like why is why is Alicia Vikander wearing a, a Bluetooth um, and why does she drive a Chevy Volt or whatever but, you want to do the important questions yeah but did you have any Jason Bourne spoiler friendly things you wanted to say. I was crushed. I was so disappointed by this movie. I, I took it very personally, which probably isn't a good idea when it comes to big budget brand, brand extent, extensions. But, you know, the the narrative that surrounded the Bourne franchise in the last few years, especially as everyone has worked as hard as they could to throw Tony Gilroy and the Bourne legacy under the biggest bus possible, is that yeah. Greengrass and Damon are the true stewards of this franchise, and they understand it, and they're not coming back unless they have something to say. And let me tell you something. If you see Jason Bourne, it's clear that no one has anything to say. And I'm not saying that just because Bourne himself only has like 50, you know, 20 lines of dialogue. Yeah, he but, has uh, 25 lines of dialogue. But, but beyond that, what shocked me, really, and I mean this, shocked me. I'm, I'm talking like Joe Biden here. Literally, folks, look at the transcript. I'm shocked. These guys, Greengrass and Damon, don't seem to understand anything about what makes this character, this franchise, great at all. And... You know, I set aside for a moment that this is probably one of the weakest scripts I can remember seeing in a big budget film. And the big budget films are not known for their scripts. But Greengrass wrote this movie, and I'm putting the word wrote in quotes, with his longtime editor. The dialogue is just soul-crushing when it exists. It's it's so bad. Everything is on the nose and obvious. You know, from Tommy Lee Jones always being like, well, have to, he's going to find out the truth. You can't handle that truth. It's like, oh, we've heard that line before. Um but the whole point of Bourne, and this is, you know, what you said in your in your piece, he he's not some like righteous face punching truth warrior. He's a he's a messy, messed up janitor who fights with magazines when he has to. And the fact that this movie ends in Las Vegas, proof they don't get it. That it ends with another endless car chase, proof they don't get it. And that he defeats the villain by just pummeling him to death is just really, really disappointing. And I'm not. I'm not even going to put a caveat on it and be like, in as much as anyone can get disappointed by an action movie, because I really was disappointed by it. You know, the the, the, the it definitely felt like it, you know how it, uh, Die Hard Three was the screen. It was a script called Simon Says yeah. that they bought and turned into a Die Hard movie. Yeah. that's what the the internet stuff in this movie feels like. Like there was a screenplay about the CIA uh, 
strong arming a Facebook style company into letting them use the like their data. And they were like, cool. We'll throw the Athens car chase in the beginning and the Vegas car chase in the be- at the end and some some don't talk about fight club business in the middle and we'll be out, you know, and that's it. And that's the thing that I, I I've, it's so fascinating to watch this and the Born Legacy. I watched the Born Legacy again this weekend, just like kind of sc- scanning through it. It's completely different versions of this world. One is this idea that this guy's life should be pain. He is an amnesiac who does fit knuckle push-ups and is never going to be happy and it wants to be off the grid. And in a weird way, it almost is like it would they wouldn't leave Matt Damon alone. Mm-hmm. You know, like Matt Damon had to go do pull-ups <laughs> and get ready and come back and be like, look at my abs. I'm disgusting. You know, and then like fight and do a, like four chases and make make a ton of money. And then Gilroy is like, I said this in the piece, but it's like Gilroy wants to make crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah. Gilroy wants a bunch of people sitting around offices and, and on phones having these kind of chess match dialogues. And in the second film of the series, when everybody seemed to be pulling in the same direction, I watched, I mean, goddamn, Born Supremacy is so good. Mm-hmm. It is so good. They don't make movies like that anymore because you can't make movies like that. That's like, a, it's like, it's like once, once every 15 years, does everything happen in the right way where you can make a Hollywood movie that good? Mm-hmm. Like just that sheerly entertaining. So it's just kind of fascinating to see when... It would be like if you like wanted to make a sequel to Armageddon, and you were like, "The thing about Armageddon is I'm more interested in drilling." No, that's that's you know, or that's right. That's very well said. It's exactly right. They, they don't. It's like, what's the prequel? Like, what's Bruce Willis really thinking when he's drilling but, before the Armageddon? But you know, it's like, but this who th- cares? This thing where they were like, in all the press they've done for the movie too. Which, by the way, after having seen it, and you read back a lot of the press is basically. Just imagine the quotes that are attributed to Greengrass and Damon not coming from Greengrass and Damon, but emerging from the mouth of the shrugging emoji, and then it makes a lot more sense. Right. Um, right. But this core idea that they seem to have latched onto from the first three movies is people really want to know more about this guy's past. Guess what? No, we don't. We No, we don't. No. Origin stories aren't interesting, especially when they've been, they've been handled and put to bed after three movies, one starring Albert Finney. We don't need any more. So you, you know what's not dad, interesting? Dad invented the program. And it's like... Dads! Fuck dads, man. I'm so tired of dads. Like, your well, dad did it. Wait, so you, wait. No, Chris, come on. What if, what if your dad is Chips Hardy and he wants to make a Dutch East India trading company <laughs> miniseries with you for FX? Then you know, dads my are My dad cool. is like... If he's like a Yukon Mooseheart yeah. chef... Make the movie. Yeah. But if it's just like, my dad was also an agent and he made me into an agent. It's like, I don't care. Come on, man. We don't care. You're Jason because... Bourne. They wiped your brain. You were you were on the chems. We're, we're also, you were on the blues and the greens. We're also just moving backwards. And if you want to make a case to pivot this going forward, you got to do better. And this idea that what was worthwhile about the first movies was mysteries in his past and being manipulated and yet another program and yet another none none of that was interesting and yet the bizarrely the world remains interesting and worthy of exploration and it's kind of i for for one really hope that jason Bourne and aaron cross meet in a snowbound cabin me too i hope they just sip soup in a cabin for like an hour and a half like that (laughs) that would that would be that would be amazing soup is hot soup is hot (laughs) written by tony gilroy directed by steve mcqueen like on some old hunger ish (laughs) that's a way to reboot it you're going up against the british government who is unshakable First of all, people, little, little Bobby, uh, little hunger for you. People guys. are psyched for that. I mean, but we should Whew. we should talk about the fact that like <laughs> sometimes you can tell the flatness of a movie by the supporting performances, and generally it's because people who come on for supporting performances in big budget movies that maybe were a are little you about bit... to slander Queen Alicia? No, no. Just let me, let me let me work here. Give me some space in the lane because people who show up for like a few days maybe they don't get the whole script and they do their best. I want to slander young Prince Riz Ahmed first of all, who we just love in the night of and I, I love in everything I've ever seen him in he you can't prove to me he knew what movie he was making potentially he was making a better movie potentially he was making a worse movie but it's not clear what movie I thought he, was he had making. the patter of C of, of tech CEO down pretty well yeah no he's doing his thing but it's so marginalized and inessential and unimportant similarly how incredible was it when he goes into like the capitol grill to meet tommy lee jones (laughs) head of the cia and he's like we have to stop meeting so then why are you meeting at ruth's chris like what are you doing i know at the very least it's just like mark zuckerberg and and william Tennant don't meet 
at friggin' like legal seafood. Don't do that. And if they did, if they did, they would at least order the bloomin' onion. You know what I mean? Like they wouldn't. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> they wouldn't storm out. Oh, um, oh man. Um, just think about the laziness of like someone writing the script and being like, "We re- need a real Tommy Lee Jones type here." And it's just like, "Oh, okay." Like, can we can we revive him? Like, and get him in this role? <laughs> or, or how about the Queen Julia Styles? You know, I ride for Julia. Only me and Sam oh, Donsky apparently Parsons. ride for Julia Styles. But if you're gonna carry something from the other movies, that relationship is a fine thing to carry. They just they just disgraced her. They disgraced the Queen in this. You know movie. who does not ride? You know who does not ride? Hmm. Julia Stiles, because she does not ride a motorcycle well. Not well. She doesn't stay on it. <laughs> um, okay, but you, you want me to? You want me to go to the the Danish girl to Alicia? Like, God damn it! It's just like, come on, come on. You know this idea that this quote unquote genius's plan is to have have him be controlled by the CIA again because that's what he secretly wants. That just doesn't mean anything, and it's not interesting for the character. So it just becomes it just becomes punching and mush you know which is also which is something i was served in montreal by the way and tasted better than it sounds um it's just it's just disappointing so i think your piece really gets it the winner of this thanks man the winner of the series is 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 tony gilroy like he comes out looking the best right after this misfire yeah now that dude is like i'm fixing rogue one ask about me is he fixing rogue one is that true yeah, remember? That's the that's the whole thing. Is they're like, oh no, reshoots, and then they're because we were like, oh shit, reshoots on Rogue One, but that looks the movie looks good already, and then it's like reshoots and like some polishing by Tony Gilroy. You know, maybe that news was so good that it short circuited my brain, and I couldn't remember it until you mentioned it again. <laughs> like I was just so excited to learn about it another time. Um, so what? Before we go on this, because I, mean, I don't want to be a, a total downer. I mean, what? Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you something. Yeah. Let me ask you something. You want a sixth? It, it, no. I mean, definitely not. If the, if this is if if the rules for making these movies are that it has to be Damon and Greengrass, I no, I don't trust them to make the movie. I and now to have Damon back in the part, yes, but you would have to just bring in someone who has just a radically different idea for it and a way to pivot it forward. Because by the way, there's more things in your secret files is not at all interesting. But if you <laughs> Basically, what if I told you that Jason Bourne was just the tip of the iceberg? <laughs> I I do wonder. We should definitely do like a side list of like the f- top six actors we want to be in in the next movie to be the ones in the in the panic room to be like, oh my god, that's Jason Bourne. Like, who else could do that? Or, or do you know who could be the weirdest? I also want to know just like the history. There's a really great gallery of people who are in all of these movies. The people who are working in the, like the ops rooms. Mm-hmm. So you've got um, Walton Goggins is in Identity. Really? Uh, listening. Yeah, he's he's like putting him and Josh Hamilton are in Identity, oh, yeah. throwing maps up because it's like pre Google Maps. Then in two, the Queen Michelle Monaghan is up in there. Wow. Uh, saying like I got eyes on Target. Uh, and then in four, of course, our our boy Corey Stoll is like is the one that Edward Norton says maybe you're in the wrong meeting. I just all of our favorite actors have at one time or another given someone a sit rep. Like that's just what they're about. That's what it means to be a working actor in Hollywood. I, I kind of was asking though, like for Born Six, who is the most absurd choice to deliver the the to deliver the news that oh my god that's Jason Bourne? My first thought was maybe Scottish comedian Billy Connolly. Kevin Hart. I think that would be a good one. Uh, what about Maria Bamford? How would you feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> if Lady Dynamite what if it's just herself. Bojack? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bojack Horseman's like, that's Jason Bourne. <laughs> I mean, I just think there are better ways to do it. Um, you know, I, 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 we can leave it on this. I just think that your, your point was right. If you just have to understand who the character is. That it's not about the punching; it's about the lengths he will go not to punch, and you you basically make him the janitor. If there is, if he's just yeah. doing what he He'd likes, rather not punch. If he's doing what he likes to do best on the Greek border, just 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 cold cocking immigrants. Sure, by the way, why not? <laughs> um, 
then have people try to mess with him and wake him up again. But it doesn't have anything to do with who he was. It's just that he's a weapon in the world in the same way that, like, there are whole movies to be made about, like, you know, the, the nukes that went unattended or something when the Soviet Union fell. So he's basically a loose weapon in the world. People make a move for him. And they're, you know, in which way is up and which way is down. That is essentially more interesting than the U.S. trying to, like, you know, trying to trying to clean out its clean out its pipes again because nobody cares about that. Yeah, I mean, we can we can wrap it up, but I I thought that there's that brief moment where it sounds like with he has an interaction with Julia Stiles where there's an illusion or a suggestion that he has helped her in the past with like leaks and in the end of. Uh, ultimatum mm-hmm. or in the beginning of ultimatum rather there's the paddy considine guardian plot where y- you know mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. he's he's trying to get information to him jason Bourne as snowden is actually a cool movie if jason Bourne decided to just be part of society again and blow the lid off the cia that's threatening that's interesting that's a that's an interesting tension but just him being like i'm trying to be off the grid and you guys keep making me get on ba- get back on twitter that's just stupid yeah also because the other thing that you can do i mean i think people have said in the past maybe even gilroy said this that that killing franco patente's character in the beginning of two was in some ways a mistake because if that was like the love of his life then they kind of missed her as a reason to motivate him or animate him but why does no one then take the the next thought the kind of obvious thought, which is if he isn't like other action heroes, if he isn't some like stoic Rambo or road warrior type, he would fall in love again, even though he knows that person might get hurt. And that just makes it more dramatic and more interesting. So let him do something other than bare knuckle brawling in Albania. You know, why not? What does it yeah, hurt absolutely. to let him try and be a person? It, it's, you know, we we are coming at this from, from fans of, of crime novels where obviously it doesn't cost $200 million to make another story. But you can always keep writing the stories. You can always keep pushing them, and some of them can be good and some of them can be bad. At this point where this is a tentpole for the franchise and for the studio, I don't know if that's the case. But the main takeaway here is the international box office receipts say that there will be another one, and I hope it's not terrible. That's that's all I want to say about it. I mean, he's saying never say never again. Uh, all right, Andy, that was great. Uh, we are not going to be together this Thursday, oh, I don't think. No. There may be another watch pod this week. We'll see. Otherwise, I will talk to you next Monday and we'll try and catch up on some of those shows that we were talking about. Maybe do some light previewing of of shows to come. Yeah, I'm going to catch up. I'm going to watch some TV, guys. I promise. I promise. I used to be really good at watching TV and I'm going to I'm going to do it again. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Great job, Redski. Thanks again to Spotify Discover Weekly for sponsoring us today. Discover Weekly allows you to lose yourself every week in the thrill of new music discovery. Your Discover Weekly playlist is 30 songs you didn't know you loved yet, and you get a brand new, unique playlist every Monday personalized to your taste. Go to Spotify.com slash Discover Weekly now to get your playlist. <laughs>